privilege. We have a privilege. Um, Kay, Sunday morning, when I met or talked to her, I don't view her as a problem of a Muslim in my home taking care of my dad. I view it as a privilege of a person that probably is going to be open about spiritual matters. Um, people, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, individuals that will probably have a spiritual conversation with us. So how are we going to navigate it? How can we share the gospel with them? You know, we want to present the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, we want to present the truth of who Jesus Christ is. For what reason? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake and the glory of God, right? We want to, we want to share what, what the Bible says about who Christ is and what he's done. We want to share the gospel because that brings God glory. We always want to get to the gospel, and that's been our heart and our prayer this, this year. Um, we want to share the gospel, pray that, that God would bring people into our lives. That's why we still have the board out in the foyer uh, with all names on it, people that we were praying for and tried to invite to come to Friend Day at our, at our picnic across the street because we want to build relationships and we want to share the gospel with people. You know, when we talk to, to an unsaved person, the unbeliever is not the enemy. We want to, we want to treat them with gentleness, right? And, and, I, and I think I've admitted before in my previous chats that I didn't always have that approach. I misunderstood or uh, I was driven with, with on, a, on a couple of occasions with wrong reason that it wasn't to win some debate, but that it was to win a soul to Jesus Christ. And I, and I confess that long, t- long ago to God, you know, that the unbeliever, they're not the enemy, that this person coming, and I could see people in conversations uh, over the years with, with the dozens of Jehovah's Witnesses in homes that, that God has allowed me to have, that they weren't the enemy. It's the false philosophy. It's a false teaching that they were embracing. That's the enemy. Uh, that's, that's the one against whom we stand. So I want to just quickly run through a couple points before we really camp on where I want us to get to. Um, just for the sake of time, we're not going to get to attributes and activities, but I want to just at least take one minute and introduce it. It's in my paper. And this is what I mean by this. When we're able to sit down with a, a Jehovah Witness and go over the attributes of God and attributes of Christ, we put on one side all the attributes of God, and we look at the other side all the attributes of Christ. And when they line up, what should be our conclusion? For example, when we look at the eternity, it talks about God's eternal, Christ is eternal. God's immutable, Christ is immutable. Um, there's a lot of verses all over the place that talks about each of these, these, um, these characteristics. God is omnipotent. Christ is omnipotent. God is everywhere, is omniscient. Christ is. Um, God is, um, gives life. Christ gives life. God's holy. You know, and on and on we go. What's the conclusion? If they have the same attributes, if they have the same characteristics, then it all must mean that they're the same person. And that's what we try to do in, in this point with attributes and conversations that we've had. I've also gotten into the subject of activities. You know, I look at, well, let's look at the activities of God. What are God's activities in the Bible? And then we look at what are Christ's activities in the Bible? God's activity and Christ's activities all line up. When it says everything was made by God, and yet it says in John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, everything's made by Christ, what's, what's the conclusion? When it says that God preserves the world, but yet it continually teaches in Colossians and Hebrews 1 that Christ preserves the world, what's the conclusion? When it says that Christ can, can forgive sin, the Jews got it right in Mark 2.7. You being a man are committing blasphemy because only, what, God can forgive sins. And on and on we go through, through the attributes. But I want to look at titles tonight. Um, some titles 
and hopefully we'll get well beyond just titles. But I want to begin in John chapter 5, if you would turn there, please, or perhaps you're, you're probably already there. John 5, I want to look at the title, Son of God. What does Son of God mean when Christ uses it? Um, in many places, it's referred to, he's the, called the Son of God, one of Christ's favorite titles, Son of God, Son of Man. Well, Son of God has a sweet, specific aspect. This title is reflecting an idea that Christ is communicating. And in this idea that he's communicating is that a father and son are oneness in essence, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're the same essence. Like if you were to meet my dad, and many of you have, this is my dad. Um, he and I are the same essence. We're both human. You know, I'm not, he's not some... Um, foreign alien. I mean, we're, we're made of the same. So when I refer, this is my dad, then it's just going to be the idea of the same substance. So that's what they're getting here in John 5 and John 10, that when he says, son of God, that that, that, that is quite a challenge. That's why Muslims have a problem with saying son of God. They don't believe that in the sense that he's truly the son of God and he died on the cross and rose again. God can't have a son, okay? Um, so here when we step into John chapter 5, the phrase isn't used, but the idea is. Um, there are a lot of places where Son of God phrases used. We'll look at another. We'll look at one momentarily. Verse 17. But Jesus answered. This is after the man was healed. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, not because of breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So what's, what's happening in these three verses? In verse 17, the Jews get it, don't they? They understand what Jesus is claiming in verse 17 because of what they say in verse 18. They, dis, they didn't miss the point that he said, my father. He didn't say, your father, or he didn't say, our father, but he made it very specific, my father. They saw the claim that he was making was far more than just one that was a follower of God, but that there was an intimacy there. There was an equality, there was a sameness of essence, my father. And that's when they pick up in verse 18, their response is they're picking up stones to try to kill him because they understood what he was saying. This is what Jehovah Witnesses say of this verse. It says, and this is a quote from the literature, JWs mistakenly state, Jesus, I quote, was here disclaiming equality with the father. By saying in verse 19, they say, here then, after the Jews said, you're claiming to be equal with God, he disclaims that in verse 19 by saying that I can only do whatever the Father does. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Is that what Jesus is really saying? Is he really saying, hey, wait, hold, hold on a second. I'm, I'm not claiming to be God. Does he, does he come out and say, I'm not claiming, what are you talking about? I'm not claiming to be God with God, the one with God. I'm not claiming equality. I'm, I'm just a mortal. <clears throat> I had a beginning. I was created. Don't view me as somebody special. I'm not, I'm not someone special. But look what he says. Look at what's said in verse, the end of verse 19. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. 
Don't camp on just the beginning. I can only do what the Father does because we talked about that from 1 Corinthians 8, 6 before. Equality in the headship, and yet Father sends the Son, Son sent the Spirit. Submission. So he does do what the Father says, but he can do whatever the Father does. Let me put it to you this way. Anybody in this room can say that? Of course we can't. Can anyone say that I can do whatever the Father does? Whatever I see him doing, I can do. That's a claim to deity. Christ is referring to a submission, but he's also making a claim to deity that, that I do whatever the Father does. And this is what I've said every time in this passage with Jehovah's Witnesses. So let me, I said, let me understand. You are claiming to live in the 21st century to have a better handle of what Jesus is saying than the first century Jews. So why don't we just take the first century Jews as what they understood, that they accuse Jesus of claiming, verse 18, to be equal with God, and what we don't ever see in response, Jesus doesn't say, oh my, I am so sorry, you misunderstood me. That is not at all what I meant. You see, a good teacher, if that's what all he was, would have said that. So again, I think that's a, a powerful statement here of Christ claiming equality with, with God. Let's turn to, look at the next phrase, son of man. We're going to end up in Daniel chapter 7, but let me put two verses on the board here. And he, Mark 8, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer and be rejected. And then in Mark 9, and as they were coming down the mountain, they charged to the son of man until the son of man had risen from the dead. So another favorite title of Christ is son of man. What does son of man mean? Turn with me, please, to Daniel chapter 7. We want to look in Daniel 7. What is said of Christ? What is he claiming in Daniel chapter 7 when he claims to be, when he ties into there? We'll look in a moment when Christ is reaching back, when he's talking in Mark chapter um, Mark chapter 14, he's referring back to Daniel 7, but we need to know where the phrase son of, son of man came from. It comes from this passage in Daniel chapter 7. Again, can, can I pause a moment? Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? I'm, not, I'm really not looking for answers. I, that's the pivotal question. That is the most important question anybody can ever ask on earth. Who is Christ and what did he do for us? And that's what we're getting at the heart of the matter with Jehovah's Witnesses, with Jewish people, with Muslims, um, and that's a large chunk of people in this world. The heart of the matter is, who is Christ? Can I show from Scripture who Christ is? That's what we need to be defenders of the faith. We need to be individuals that could give a strong apologia, a defense of the faith. And so that's what we're really looking at here in, um, in the Word. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 14. We'll look shortly in Mark chapter 14 when Christ is quoting it. But I want to start in Daniel chapter 7, a great Old Testament prophecy. The previous verses prior to verse, um, verse 9, talking about different kingdoms. There's a vision of four beasts, talking about four future kingdoms that would come up, four rulers. And now it's summing up the great ruler that will one day come. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. And I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. 
His throne was fiery flames, and his wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Who's being described here? Now, you're timid because you're thinking, I'm looking for Jesus, but you're not sure it is. It's really God. It's Yahweh, okay, what we would call God the Father. Okay, he's the subject here. The Son of Man is about to be introduced, but it's the Ancient of Days, clearly speaking of Yahweh as the subject. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed. The beast in the previous verse's context. Let me jump to 13. And I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. So here is a son of man, and he's coming, and he's coming to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and the, to him was given. So the Ancient of Days is the one that has all of this power and authority, and what is he doing? He's given to the, to the Son of Man dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion who shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So here we see the Ancient of Days is giving all of the authority, sovereign power that had been exercised by the four kingdoms of the people, the rulers, and he's giving it to the Son of Man and is conferring on him all of the power and for everyone to serve him or a.k.a. to worship him. And it says that his kingdom will be forever. It will be eternal. We're not going to go there, but if you want to make a note, Psalm 2, or you could get my notes, Psalm 2, 6 to 9, ties in here. That's a prophecy that says one day, kiss the Son of Man, serve him, bow before him. This is when it's going to happen. Okay? So we're seeing the Ancient of Days and one coming that's a Son of Man is going to be given glory, dominion, glory that only belongs to Yahweh. Um, dominion and power and worship and service and his kingdom's going to be forever. That's only God that's being described. But we, we accept the, the Trinity. Can we, can we answer and explain it fully? I don't know a person that really can. God the Father, God the Son, God, God the Spirit, three persons but one God. There's not three gods, there's one. And we understand the equality, the oneness here. Now, that's all a background as we turn to Mark chapter, chapter 14, please. Mark 14 is Christ is being interrogated by, by the religious rulers, and they ask him in verse 62, um, are you the Christ, the, son of the, son, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, in verse 61, because they get who he's going to be. They don't see the, 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 the Christ, by the way, just means the anointed one, right? Messiah. Okay, are you the Christ, the blessed one that's to come? Because they view him as, as being incredible, not just some man. They probably don't fully understand what they're looking for. Um, but he's not, he's not a man. And this is Christ's answer. He says, I am. And that's a powerful phrase right there. But ego, me, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated, seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So what he says is, yes, I am the one of Daniel chapter 7. I am he. Well, they get outraged at that. They want to kill him because they don't believe that he is. And what he's really saying is, I am that person. I will one day judge you. 
So again, who is Christ? Son of man, son of God. And we're just touching on, on them briefly. Rich, rich phrases that we're looking at. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2, verse 13, please. This, I, I think they're all, I want to say with each one of them, this is the strong, one of the strongest arguments. I think they all are all strong arguments. Who is Jesus Christ? Um, where in the Bible, New Testament, does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Can you tell me? Where? 1 John 5.20, what is it, Ray? Where else? Okay, John 1.1. 1, 1. Okay, in the beginning was the Word, was with God, and the Word was God. They'll have uh, an article before that, a God, but maybe someday we'll be able to, to explain that pretty easily. Go ahead. Amen. Powerful, right? Good, good, good. Um, John, um, John twenty twenty eight. My Lord and my God. We have Hebrews Hebrews one eight. Um, on and on it goes. But let's look at Titus two thirteen. Titus two thirteen is a beautiful, simple verse. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. What do you think? What do you think Jehovah's Witnesses would say about verse thirteen? How many? How many people do you think they would? Oh, that's right, Hector. They'll see two people in verse thirteen. Okay, they'll say that there's the God, and then they'll say there's Jesus Christ, right? And we could almost see how they would say that. But here's the here is an incredible easy breakdown to it. Um, my first Jehovah Witness I ever talked to, Mr. Nelson, I told you that story where I told him, I said, Mr. Nelson, if you could see it in the Greek, and reality is you don't need Greek, okay? Um, but I said, if you could see it in the Greek, Greek shows my theology to be right and breaks down your arguments. And so he started studying Greek um, and eventually would come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Um, but here in the Greek, okay, let me, let me, let's talk about that. Um, Blessed hope, the appearing of the, of the glory of our great God and Savior. There is an article before the word great, okay? Great God and Savior. Now, if you were talking about two people, do you know how many in the article? Would it have to be singular or plural? It would have to be plural, okay? And it would be tau, omega, nu, in a genitive. It would be tone, okay? It would have to be plural, but it is singular, that's powerful. That's very powerful. It is singular. It's a genitive singular. But it gets better than that. Okay? So it has singular because one person is in view and he's being described. The great God and Savior. Here are two titles that are being given to Jesus Christ. He's the great God and he's our Savior. And it's singular article to talk about one person. But it gets better because look at the next verse. Christy, you were an English par excellence, correct? Help us out here. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, the personal pronouns in verse 14? I know, I'm putting you on the spot here. What? Yeah, I mean, they're, verse 14, who gave himself. 
Okay, so, so we see who and himself, okay? So we see personal pronouns, right? And they are, again, Greek is, Greek is so more exact than English. We can't tell, you know, how many people are with, with who and himself. But in the Greek, it'll have plural, singular, and plural. And here it's singular. Who is singular and himself is singular. So it talks, of, it talks in verse 13, article before the great God and Savior describing Jesus Christ, and then it carries it forth in the next verse, who is in the singular and himself is in the singular. And it's continually shown that, that Christ is a subject, but it's one more better. Um, where in the New Testament do we ever see God, Yahweh, appearing? Do we ever see, let me, let me, maybe my question isn't clear, in the second coming, where do we ever see in the New Testament where it says that God, Yahweh, will come in the second coming? You ready? Never. Who is always the one that is going to come in the second coming? Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. What, what are we talking about here? Waiting for a blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ always comes. Check it out. Check them all out. Check out Matthew chapter, chapter 24. Um, we'll see that Christ is always coming. You look at, at um, other pa- passages of Christ's second coming um, in Romans 13. Christ is always the one that's appearing. It's never God. So again, Titus 2.13 is a powerful, powerful verse. Let's move on. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 12. I really want to get through the point of worship before we uh, need to run. John chapter 12, verse 37 to 41. As we're turning there, would someone um, chase down Isaiah 53, verse 1? Who would do that? Okay, thank you, Deborah. Isaiah 53, 1. And who would read Isaiah 6, verse 10? Thank you, Hector. Very kind of you. Isaiah 6, verse 10. Let's... Uh, Follow with me as I read now John 12, 37 through 41. Verse, 30, um, verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed in himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Who's the subject? Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the subject. We see that? Um, in verse 30, 36 and 37. So now he moves on. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who hath believed our report? Um, Deborah, would you, read, would you read Isaiah 53, 1? Okay, and look at what we find here. Lord, who hath believed what he, has, what he has heard from us, and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So here Isaiah is quoting, or I'm saying John is quoting from Isaiah Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, can you read your verse, Hector? In fact, would everybody keep your finger in there and turn to Isaiah 6 for a moment? So we see in our John 12 passage... The first verse quoted was Isaiah 53, 1. And did you see in Isaiah 6, verse 10, was verse 40 was quoted, right? Okay, you, you see that? 
Look at verse 41 with me of John chapter 12 as you're turning to Isaiah 6. Someone, let's read it together. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. You see that? Who is verse 41 talking about? John 12, verse 41. The whole flow, 36 is Jesus Christ, right? It's Jesus Christ. Is it not the complete context? Am I right? You all with me? Did, did, I, did I lose anybody? Please raise your hand if I lost you. Everybody close your eyes. Raise your hand if I lost you. Okay. Okay, let's, let's, let's come back to John 12. Keep your finger in. Your fingers are going to do well. Okay, in Isaiah 6. Hold on. Let's, John 12, verse 36. When Jesus said these things, Jesus is the subject. Now, Isaiah is going to give a quote. John's borrowing two quotes from Isaiah, but Jesus Christ is the subject. So John here in verse 30, 38 gives a quote, and that quote happens to be from Isaiah 53, verse 1. But Jesus is the subject. Okay, talking about Jesus. And there, then it said in 30, Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He hath blinded their eyes. So again, Jesus is the subject. And their hearts being hardened because they don't see who Jesus is. It's all about Jesus. Okay, that's huge. You with me on that? Because now we get to 41. John takes some liberty, inspired of God, and he quotes what Isaiah really meant. So Isaiah, just, I mean, John just puts down in, in his gospel, by the way, you know what, Isaiah, he's speaking and he's talking about the glory as he saw the glory of Jesus. Now your, 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 your socks are about to be blown off when you look in Isaiah 6. Look at this with me. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each six wings. Two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, two he flew. And one, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is the full of his glory. According to John, chapter 12, verse 41, who is Isaiah talking about there? Jesus Christ. Do you see what's being said? Yeah, Yahweh is the subject also, but there's such oneness. Jesus Christ is talked. Jesus Christ is in Isaiah 6. That's what John's saying. I mean, what a statement when we, when we ask, well, who is Jesus Christ? When, let me pause and give a commercial list. We don't get to it at the end. We're, we've hit one of those cycles in our life. And I met with somebody recently. He said, how do you get out of a cycle when it just seems like the Christianity doesn't thrill you? It just is is like things, usually in, when that happens, it's more of there's sin in my life, I just need to confess. But the go-to, what I was trying to hit on Sunday is, we need to keep looking to Jesus. We need to keep speaking the gospel. I need to remember what Christ has done for me. I need to remember that I was, a, a, that I was and I am a sinner, that I was dead in my sins, that I had no way to God. And Christ, God the Son, put on human flesh and came and rescued me. This, this God that we're looking at in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He's the one that came. And maybe that'll give a good, may I say, kick in the back end, get us going in our Christian walk when we remember and look at the gospel and who Christ is. Well, let's move on. I, um, 
think I, I'm going to skip John chapter 8. Um, I'll leave that for my notes because I want to turn to hit Psalm and Exodus before we, we part. Any questions be, as we're turning to, to Psalm 102? Any one-minute question? Bev. And that's why we're, yeah, we're hammering home that Jesus Christ is God the Son, you know, His deity, and believing that Christ had a beginning, that He was created, um, that He's not eternal. Might even some say that, that He was Michael, okay? Psalm 102. Psalm 102. I, I would like someone to read Psalm 102, verse 1, and verses 25 and 27. Psalm 102. Dennis, would you do that, please? Psalm 102, verse 1, verses 25 and 27. And the rest of us will turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hear my prayer. No, 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 you're, you're, you're a little excited. I appreciate that. Let's, let's get to Hebrews 1 first. <laughs> Thank you. Let's get to Hebrews 1 for a moment. Everyone look down Hebrews 1. And I'm really going to refer to verses 10 through 12. I want you to hear what, what Dennis says. Who is the person in verse 1? And I want you to hear his attributes in verses 25 to 27. Okay, Zamim, go ahead. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Okay, we have the screen. We have that, the verse on the screen. See the word Lord? It's the word Yahweh. That's very important, okay? So Yahweh, or as some would call Jehovah. So Yahweh is the subject. Now, I want us to see in Hebrews 1 what's said in Hebrews 1, and Jesus Christ is the subject. I want you to see how verses 25 to 27 are exactly repeated in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Follow with me, please, in Hebrews 1, verses 10 to 12. Verse 3. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he's talking about the Son, talking about Jesus. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name as he has inherited is more excellent. Verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God. That's an awesome verse, proving God, Jesus Christ's God, is forever and ever. But then let's look at verses 10 to 12. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Again, those verses are an exact quote of that passage. You follow me? If that passage, passage Yahweh is a subject, and he did that, and Jesus Christ is the subject, and he did that. What's our conclusion? That Jesus Christ is who? 
I want, I want the Hebrew word. Jesus Christ is who? He's Yahweh. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. That's kind of where I was going to begin in the attributes, activities, titles. It's just, they're, they're repeated. It flows together. So a powerful verse, Psalm 102, tied in with, with Hebrews. There was a, um, I think I might have said this. I went to, to Florida. I think it must have been in the mid-90s. And I was, went to Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, actually, to be trained in evangelism and explosion. And um, we stayed in different homes. And there was this dear elderly lady that housemate, another guy. Um, we stayed in her home and got talking with her and her son. Um, Alan actually lived... Um, 12, 15 miles from us on Long Island, and he was a Jehovah Witness. And she just poured out her heart, and so I promised her that I would look up her son, and I did, and we had, if I remember correctly, a couple meetings. But the argument, may I say, or, or explanation that I want to share with you is where I camped on with him, the word worship. I can remember looking up in my Giddles um, Greek lexicon and giving him a copy of all the words. This is before a computer could do what it does today. And on um, the pages, and you look up the word proskuneo, okay? Proskuneo is a Greek word which means worship, all right? And we're going to look at it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, if you want to turn there. And I'm going to read Exodus 20 to you. But I want to, we look at all of the places in the New Testament the word is used. And this is what I gave, gave to Alan. I'm just going to look at three or four of them with you tonight. Um, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, um, allow me please to read Exodus 20. It's a passage that you're um, very familiar with. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Um, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So clearly the Old Testament, Scripture teaches that only God was to be worshipped. There was not to be anyone else worshipped. That only God, Yahweh Almighty, was to be worshipped. And that is repeated repeatedly in the Old Testament, that only God was to be worshipped. Then we turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, and Christ is teaching, and he says in 4.10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the word that he uses there is proskuneo. So he teaches, and following up on the heart of Old Testament theology, only God was to be worshipped. Only God was to be proskuneo. You know what the important question is? Did Jesus ever receive proskuneo? Did Jesus ever receive worship? Acts chapter 10, verse 25, 26, we won't turn there. But when Cornelius fell down to Peter and wanted to worship him, Peter said, no, no, get up, I'm only a man. And when John wants to worship proskuneo or falls down to worship angels in, in Revelation 19, 10 and 22, 8, John says, the angel said, you must not do this, we're only your servants. So here, Christ taught in Matthew 4, verse 10, did Christ ever receive worship? Now, we don't have time to fully trace this out, but whenever proskuneo is used in the New Testament, in the New World Translation, in the Jehovah Witness Bible, whenever proskuneo is used and is referred to God, it is always translated worship. When proskuneo is used in the New World Translation and is referring to Jesus Christ, it is always translated obeisance. Yeah. 
they do an intentional change. Worship, God, but when it's used of Jesus, they soften it because their theology will not allow for God the Son to be worshipped because that would be blasphemy. Um, let's, look at a, let's look at a couple places. Mark chap, Matthew chapter 14, verse 33. Matthew 14, verse 33. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, if, that's not, if, Jesus, if Jesus wasn't God the Son, right at that point, he would have to do one of two things. Or he would have to, if he were a, a truly good man, and not God the Son, he would say, what, no, what, Yo! I am just a man. Oh, boy, stop, stop that. Get up. Give only God worship. Okay? And if he didn't do that, and he really wasn't God the Son, then he would be a false teacher. But he accepts it. He doesn't turn it down. Look at Luke chapter, I want to get one in each of the Gospels. There's, there's like dozens. Luke chapter 24, verse 52. Luke 24, 52. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and, were co- and continually in the temple blessings. John, cha- John chapter 9, verse 38. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him, um, the blind man. So Jesus continually received worship. If Jesus Christ were not God the Son, then he would have to stop the worship because he would be a blasphemous, false teacher. Um, there's so much more. Uh, our Bible is just, the Word of God it just drips, drips with support and what we believe confirms continually that Jesus Christ is God the Son. So the, the question really comes to this. Okay, we've had a, a, an academic theological discussion. What do we do with this? If it only stays up here, and if that's all this, this means to us, so now we're little, we have a couple verses that we could talk, but, but what do we do with it? It ought to be God. First, let me just be amazed at who you are. We sang, fairest Lord Jesus. Maybe we mean that. Fairest Lord Jesus. God, you're so fair. Jesus Christ, you're so awesome. Thank you for all that you've done in my life. I understand and see that you are God the Son. And secondly, all drive us that if we beggars have found where bread is, we men and women that were dying in the desert have found where the living water is, we're to pray. We ought to pray that God brings people into our path. Even to have witnesses. We know the truth. God, bring people that I could share the word with them, with those that don't know Christ as their Savior. God, we love you. We thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the support of Scripture. Thank you for the, the unity. God, just looking at the defense of the Scriptures, how it's united, how it flows together. It screams to our hearts and souls that this is truly a divine book. God, thank you for the word of God and the spirit of God within us. In Christ's name, amen. Lord bless you. Have a great week.